It is really a lot of fun for me to be with you. I have to tell you, I'm a grandpa. I have three little guys that energize my life. And I don't care how discouraging the day can be, all I need is a picture of one, two, or three little guys, and my life lights up. Is that true for some of you as well? Can I tell you, the world doesn't know what's about to happen. They're going to unleash on us the opportunity to open our mouths in worship and exaltation of Jesus Christ again, and there is a power that has been unplugged that's long overdue that's coming back to a village near you. But there's been a problem. Maybe you noticed. Oh, I'm not talking about COVID. There's a story about a guy who was walking down the road and he came upon a footbridge, and as he walked over it, there was a deep cavern underneath of him, and there's a guy who's standing up on the rail. And it's obvious the man's in distress, and he's going to jump. And so our guy, being a good guy, looks at him and says, don't jump, I can help you. And, and the guy said, well, how can you help me? So our guy says to him, well, are you a Christian? He said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, that's wonderful. Are you a Catholic or a Protestant? He said, I'm a Protestant. Well, that's great. He said, well, what kind of Protestant are you? Are you a Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian? He said, I'm a Baptist. The guy said, well, that's fantastic. Praise the Lord. So let me ask you, are you a Northern Baptist or are you a Southern Baptist? And he said, I'm Northern Baptist. And he said, well, praise Jesus, are you a Northern Conservative Baptist or a Northern Liberal Baptist? And the guy said, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist. And our guy said, well, call Ripley's. This is unbelievable. I never meet anybody who's of my heritage. And the man on the rail was standing there and he said, now, are you conservative Baptist reformed or conservative Baptist fundamental? And the man thought, my father raised me northern conservative Baptist reform. It's a miracle, our guy said. Put her there, pal, so am I. Now, are you by chance... Northern Conservative Baptist Reform Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Reform Great Plains Region? He said, that's easy. I'm Northern Conservative Baptist Reform Great Lakes Region. Wow, miracle of miracles. We are brothers. I don't know how we got, how could this even happen? Now, one final question. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist Reform Great Lakes Region Council of 1855, or are you Northern Conservative Baptist Reform Great Lakes Region Council of 1872? The man replied, since the days of my great-granddaddy, we have been Northern Conservative Baptist Reform Great Lakes Region Council of 1872. And our guy stood there and paused, and then pushed him off the bridge and said, die, heretic! Now, now we laugh, but it brings up a point. You get a room full of believers that agree on 79 out of 80 points, and can I tell you which point they're going to be talking about? They're going to be talking about number 80. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he wrote about two ladies that weren't getting along in chapter 4. And he said, I'm asking you, to stand firm, but to stand firm, you're going to have to deal with harmonization. Euodia, Syntyche, you need to harmonize. 
Now, when you harmonize musically, you actually have to listen to the other person while you're singing, or the harmony goes off. In fact, he goes on to say that people like Clement and Epaphroditus are going to have to put together a way of reconciling people that haven't been harmonizing. And that our ability as a church to stand firm in days of darkness will largely be undermined by our inability to harmonize with one another. That was written before Facebook, where everybody has come to believe one of the great lies of our age, my opinion matters. And as a result, we give an opinion on everything, things we know about and things we just feel strongly about. And the less we know, the more we feel. And as a result, the resistance in this generation to standing for Jesus in this time is being eroded by our inability to harmonize. And I would say to you that many of us don't post our political views online. How many of you are of the club that says, no way, I'm not putting that out there. I don't have a need to get beat up today. We're going to be shouted down by people who have no investment in us or anything that they're going to tear down. So when we open the last book of the Bible in Revelation, and I'd like you to go to chapter 1, what happens is a lot of believers get scared because you've got this circular letter written to these seven churches that are operating on the western rim of what's now the Turkish Republic. And, and the problem is we can get so caught up in some detail of verse 13 that it distracts us from everything else we're looking at. I love chapter 1 of Revelation. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible because any group of believers, any group of believers, followers of Jesus Christ who have tasted the sweetness of Jesus can open up and read a description of him and go, Amen, and harmonize. We can stand together. Yes, there are words in this book that are divisive. They're hard to understand. But that doesn't mean you have to diss the book. In fact, this book opens the sash to some incredible rallying points of our faith, and this morning I want to talk in just a few minutes about one of those rallying points. Uh, let's start at the beginning. There's only two kinds of Bible verses. 85% of the Bible talks about following Jesus. 15% of the Bible talks about finding Jesus. So you have your John 3.16 moments where you find Jesus because you were born in sin and needed a savior. But 85% of the book is not a rewarm version of John 3:16. It's actually what do I do the day after I know Jesus and I'm walking with him. The problem is that there's a second thing that happened. And that is we've lived long enough as believers to know that it's possible to find Jesus in the first 15% but not follow him in the other 85%. Are you with me? So in, in real terms, there's an awful lot of people who really don't understand what it is we're trying to do. When, 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 you lead, when you find Jesus but don't follow him, you're pulled from a promising life of empowerment to, to a powerless life, to a pathetic life. Because you proclaim a savior that you do not love, that you do not desire that you do not spend any time, you talk about a heaven to spend endless time with a Savior you don't talk to now. And so you go through limping in life. The main point of the Christian life is not to tell people that you believe what Jesus did 2,000 years ago so you get out of hell free. 
The main point is that Jesus wants me to start right now, walking with him right now, and doing things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, where do we start? Well, when you're starting a book study, it's pretty good to start in verse 1. And I have to tell you, in Revelation 1.1, it opens this beginning of the marker trail. Let me posit this idea for these opening verses that we're going to be talking about just for a few minutes. We can't really walk with God if we don't take the time to see him as he is. I used to think it was weird that the Edomites made their own God, the Moabites made their own God. Then I grew up and realized so did the Americans. We serve the fuzzy God who always blesses us no matter what we do, who always wants our team to win, who loves democracy as much as we do and obviously created apple pie. We have an idea about who God is and we have shaped him and molded him and the very first commandment is don't turn me into anything I already know who I am. So when I look at this, I'm concluding that before there's any prophecy in this book, there is a gazing at who Jesus is. From the first century, our leaders warned us that that the enemy will always throw combinations. I'm going to Revelation 1, just give me a minute. That Satan always throws combinations, never single punches. You look at 2 Thessalonians chapters 1, 2, 3, that whole book, you're going to find three punches that the the enemy lands on the church in the first century and they're the same ones he's landing in the midst of COVID. And in chapter 1, it's all about fear. There's persecution and there's fear. And so the enemy throws a punch and says, you should live in fear. And by the way, if that one doesn't mess you up, chapter 2, there's people writing fake faith fake versions, false things, untrue things. So I'm reeling from the first punch of fear and now I've got a whole, whole internet filled with things that are not true. And if that doesn't bother you, you get to chapter 3 and in chapter 3 it says, he's got you on fear, he's got you on fake. And then he throws the punch of terrible witness where other people who name Jesus Christ don't represent the attitudes and actions of Jesus Christ. And so discouragement is the third blow. Maybe you've been up against the ropes getting pummeled. Maybe between fear and fake and discouraging things that you see people put online and you think, how can they think that? I thought they knew Jesus. That fear and confusion and discouragement, those are the tools of the enemy. And what does he do to make them stronger? He isolates us from one another because when we get together, we praise. And when we praise, we unplug power that has been long dormant in the church. Five months we've been told, be quiet about the exaltation of Jesus. We will be quiet no longer. The power is getting plugged back in. Now, what I think is interesting is here's the good news. In chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place, he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all that he saw. If the actual point of my life is to walk with Jesus and to learn to love him and then go to heaven and be in an unending intimacy with him, if that's the point, 
I'm not supposed to long for the benefits of heaven more than I, be than I long for the person who put me there. I must learn to long for the Savior. Now, how do I do that? I have to consciously learn to invite Him in the journey daily and then be inspected by Him at the end of the day. But how do I do that? I'm going to have to learn to see Him as He is. Well, how do I do that? Enter the Spirit of God and Word of God where truth is brought and revealed. I love chapter 1 because the opening line here is this is the revealing of who Jesus is before it tells you what will happen. See, you can't handle the plan until you know the planner. I need to know who Jesus is, and then I can know what Jesus will do, because then I can fit the individual pieces of the coming chapters in this series as it unfolds into the character of God, because when I can't understand what God is doing, I fall back on who he is. You can bring me a story right now. You can say, you know what your wife told me? And you can make up some line, but you know what? I don't have to have been in the conversation to know she didn't say what you said she said. You know why? 35 years, I know that woman. I know what she thinks. I told people in the office, look, my wife has nothing to do with running this business, but if, if I'm unavailable and you need an answer, ask her. Because she knows how I think, or don't. And she knows exactly what I would say. So just ask her. Look, look at this. Did you see the opening line reveals character? Look at verse 4. I love this. It says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Did you see the addressed letter to the seven churches and who the addressee is? It, it, like everything in life, it starts with the Father. And, and when you go here in verse 4, it's, it mentions the Father and the Spirit. Don't pass over the details. Revelation is filled with details. The meat is in the details. And this says that God has one name. In Scripture, he has many titles, but he has only one name. His proper name, Yahweh or Jehovah, means the one who was, who is, who is to come. That sort of sounds like a meeting with your lawyer, doesn't it? It sounds like lawyer speak. Asher hayah yavo, the Hebrew prescription for who God is, the one who was, who is, who is to come. In short, really what it means is always now, always on. You and I serve a God that, ser that, that, that our fathers served, and should the Lord tarry, our sons will serve, and God is always on time, always ready, always knowledgeable. He's not caught off by fake news. He knows exactly what's going on, and in every dimension, he is not like us. He's not human. The end and the beginning are clear to him all at the same time. That's why putting off God in your life is a sin. When you put off God, you deny that he's the right God for this moment. Don't tell him to stand at the back of the line. God is always now. Yahweh means I'm always on. I was, I am, I will be. And there's never a time when I don't understand. 
If you keep reading until chapter 4, you'll find out that the Father sits on the throne of heaven surrounded by a crystal sea. And Ezekiel saw him moving on this apparatus up and down in this thing filled with glory. But when you behold him, you're going to know he is not a created being. He's the very context of all creation. Everything that is started in the mind of God. He's, He's not the one who does good. He defines by his very nature what good is. When you see the train of the robe of the Father and the vastness of his presence, you're going to understand there is no glory that compares with him. All creation was made by him. It was all made according to his design. Our very purpose is in the decree of the Father alone. There's none like him. Beloved, there's none like him. And he sits above the crystal sea, but John said, that's not all I saw. Did you see it? He said, I also saw the seven spirits of God. Now this messes up triangle trinity diagrams. But in Isaiah 11, the seven spirits of God, beginning in Isaiah 11:2, are named. Don't skip over this. This is the... To exalt God, you have to understand who he is. The presentation is that he is is the spirit of Yahweh in Isaiah 11.2. Yahweh, the spirit of always on, the ever-present now God. He is the spirit of chokmah, the spirit of wisdom. That is, the spirit of God gives practical application to the truth. He is the spirit of Binah, understanding, it's the word for clarity when things get cloudy. Do things ever get cloudy for you? The Spirit of God is the one that clarifies them. He's the Spirit of counsel, Eitzah, which is the word for logical strategy. He'll help you figure out how to get through. He's the Spirit of Giborah, the Spirit of strength, empowering courage when you're afraid. He's the Spirit of of knowledge, Da'at, or deliberation, how to weigh things properly. He's the Spirit of Yirah, reverence, or supreme awe. You get in the middle of the Revelation song. And some of you feel the tap on your shoulder of the spirit of all. And suddenly you can project yourself there. For me, tears always come. I don't know why. But don't rush to ask the details of who the Holy Spirit is. Men and women, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God, you're filled with the one who's always on time, who's always up to speed with the facts, who's always ready to act in righteousness. When you walk in the Holy Spirit, you you simply begin to refuse the insatiable desires of your flesh because you're going to walk in the practical application of the Word of God and you're going to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. When you're filled with confusion and you're under the smoke of the enemy's fire and the, the Holy Spirit is the one who will bring clarity by the Father's inexhaustible power. When you face defeat upon defeat, You call upon God for understanding. It's God's Spirit that gives you the strategies to put up up the armor and to stand against the wiles of the devil and the fiery darts. When you cry out in fear because the things of this world look so big and the evil is so strong and I'm so weak and it's going to run me over, he wraps your weakness in cable-like strength that comes from the Spirit of God to hold you in place. This is who we gaze at. This is how we gain encouragement. 
When you don't know what path to go, and you're not sure because the dense thicket and brush has, has overgrown the path, you, you turn to the Spirit of God, and He begins to give you peace in the midst of confusion. Beloved, when you yield your heart to the Spirit of Yerah, the Spirit of reverence, all of a sudden, you fear men less than you revere God. You love sin less than the deep yearning, the deep yearning for the master's smile. And you start living for an audience of one and saying, Jesus, are you happy with this? You know the saying, if mama ain't happy, you know that one? How about the, if Jesus ain't happy, doesn't matter if everybody else is. Look, the Father's power and majesty coupled together with the Spirit's inner assurance and guidance, these are the light sources that he gave us but I don't want to stop there. i got a few more minutes. Who else is in the room? The Father, surrounded by the Son. And then in the crowd is the Son, who's standing there amidst the believers. The Spirit is there, the Father is there, but I want to look at the collaborative author. Look at verse 5. John recites the Savior and says, And from Jesus Christ. Now, you can look at that and think that's his name, Christ being his last name, but that's not what's going on. And believers know what this is, is a translation of the word Christos is a translation of Mashiach. Mashiach is the word for anointed because this one is the king, this one is the priest, this one is the prophet, this is the anointed, appointed one of God who holds the greatest scepter in his hand that has ever been held. How do I know that? Because his words tell what is to come. His place is standing for, before the Father for us. It's his right to hold the scepter because verse 5 says he's a faithful witness, but it also says he's the one firstborn of the dead. And it also goes on to say that he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Look at the one you serve. Look at the one who saved you. He's more than gentle Jesus, meek and mild from the Hallmark card. He's not that feckless Jesus hanging on a cross with no power of a crucifix. The risen Christ is the anointed one who stands before the Father daily for you, day after day. While Satan would harangue you, Jesus says, Father, listen to him. He's one of mine. Listen to her. I bought her. He's the faithful witness. You can trust Jesus to talk straight about your life and your struggles and frankly about you. Jesus is no fortune cookie prince with these little sayings. He's no mystical help you I will Yoda figure. Jesus sees straight through not only what you're doing but why you're doing what you're doing. He knows you physically, spiritually, mentally, metallically he knows you on a cellular level he knows you better than your doctor and better than your mom he's a faithful witness jesus won't blow smoke at somebody he gave blood to save your pain isn't irrelevant to him you're not a bother to his schedule listen believer don't ever forget satan knows you by your name but he labels you by your sin Jesus meets you in your sin to call you by your name. 
And I would tell you that our faith is deeply rooted in God's love for each of us at the heart of the gospel. And my Savior didn't get me and then wake up one day and go, well, I didn't know I was getting that. He knew exactly who you were long before you knew yourself well enough to know what he was getting when he got you. Verse 5 goes on to say, he can represent his Father in all things. He's the firstborn of the dead. Now don't get confused, firstborn doesn't mean born first. Firstborn was a legal term in the society in which this is written that has to do with the rights of the father passed to an ambassador. He is the one who has all of the position of authority greater than any employee, greater than any slave, greater than any representative. He has been called the firstborn. And by the way, in Roman society, you didn't have to be born first to be the firstborn. This was a placed authority issue. Jesus, in Hebrews 1.4, is the exact stamp representation of the Father. He's an image stamp. He looks in every respect like the Father. And that's why he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But here's the point. Jesus is the one who can represent his Father's interest in all things, in heaven and on earth. And at the end of all things, the Father will bequeath to him the greatest amount of exaltation. Why not exalt him now? Can, can I tell you that Jesus is the one who's going to be exalted above every ruler? Verse 5 says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. There's no rival to Jesus. Every cult, every religion, every revered prophet, every prime minister, every president, everyone, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is the one who empowers us. He is the one who loved you enough to place his hands willingly down to let them pierce the hands with nails for your behalf, for my behalf. The love of Jesus is unfathomable. And that's why verse 5 says he loves us. It says to him who loves us. People make the point all the time that he was being obedient to the Father. But in John 13 and 14, he repeatedly said, guys, I love you. I love you. It wasn't just duty that brought him to the cross. It was love. Now let's not get a big head. Because when we know ourselves, we're not walking into salvation going, man, Jesus is getting a bargain here. But he loves us. No one ever knew me as well as Jesus, and yet he loves me. Talk about a mystery. What a mystery that is. Beloved, sin has no hold on you that you're not giving it. <laughs> to live in captive to sin is like a believer sitting in a jail cell where Jesus already unlocked the door. And you're sitting in prison, but the door's not locked. And you're walking around doing what you should not do, believing it somehow has power over you, when Romans 6 is clear, it has no power over you unless you let it. And I want to serve the one who's who's not only this one who's been so powerful in my life and who loves me so much, but look at verse 5. He's released us from our sins by his blood. He laid down his life, and now the cell is open. Jesus is the only one to put a back door on the six-foot grave. And so when I stand there, before I knew Christ, I was dead. That's what Ephesians 2 says. It doesn't mean I can't be a good guy, pay my taxes, and help little old ladies across the street means I can't be righteous and fix what's broke between me and God. And Jesus made it possible for me to have all of the alignment and the connection of the umbilical cord back to God that was severed in the Garden of Eden. 
He became sin who never did a single thing wrong so that I would get the righteousness of God by him filling in for me. But he didn't simply die to make us one in heaven. He did it to make us one now. Verse 6 says, He made us to be a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Did you know that the scripture teaches that when Jesus brought you into his family, he welded you together with the people in the seat next to you? That we are standing as one, not only in heaven, but at the end of the day, we're all one thing. Happy slaves. We're all happy slaves. I'm not interested in in what your color is. I'm not interested in what your background is. Honestly, God made lots of colors and flavors because he doesn't like a boring world. That's why you got chocolate, vanilla, chocolate obviously is better, and, 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 and all these other flavors, right? He likes it that way. But that's not who you are. Men and women, this is not who I am. This is where I live right now. 100 million years from now, this ain't going to be it. I'm just telling you right now, I'm gorgeous in 2.0 body. (laughs) So the bottom line is, forget your social status. It doesn't matter. Men and women, don't forget, don't forget, because verse 7 says it, Jesus isn't done yet. He didn't finish everything yet. To my Jewish friends, I implore them the things that Messiah will do. He did many of them, but he's not done yet. He's coming back. And it says, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Songwriters Joel Houston, Benjamin Hastings, and Michael Fatkin are credited with these lyrics. Maybe they'll help you see him. God of creation there at the start. Before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can hear your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. If everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we'll sing again a hundred billion times. When the earth is full of drama, I got to gaze at God. How about you? I'm not going to find strength on the news. How you doing with that? Anybody get off the internet deeply encouraged? The only time it happens is when those three boys' pictures show up. Other than that, okay, there's some puppies. The puppies are nice. Here's the thing. He's coming back. To finish what he started. And verse 8 is my closing verse. And it's a powerful verse. Let it burn in your heart for a moment. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord. Says the Lord God, 
who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Get off the page that the New Testament doesn't clearly reveal Jesus' identity as one with the Father. That's nonsense. Here's the thing. It's so easy to get distracted in this time and lose all our power that the only thing I found over and over that re-energizes and re-empowers is a spirit of reverence that comes from a gazing at Jesus, from understanding who the Father is that sits above the crystal sea, who the seven spirits of God are as they help me clear out the fog that has become modern media, and, and, and we see the emergence and exaltation of Jesus Christ. One final story, and I'll let you go. It comes from the U.S. Naval Institute magazine called Proceedings. It's written by Frank Koch, and he said this. Two battleships assigned to a training squadron had been at sea in the maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship, and I was on the watch as the bridge, uh, uh, bridge came into the night, night watches. The visibility was very poor. There was patchy fog. So the captain remained on the bridge to keep an eye out for all the activities because this is a dangerous situation for a battleship. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported, Light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern, the captain called out. Steady, captain, which means we were on a dangerous collision course with another ship. Captain called to the signalman, Signal the ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you change your course 20 degrees. Captain said. And back came the signal from the other. I advise you change your course 20 degrees. Captain sent. Send this. I'm a captain. Change your course 20 degrees. The answer came back. I'm a seaman, second class. You change your course. Captain's furious. He said, I'm a battleship. Change your course 20 degrees. Came back, I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> the battleship changed course. <laughs> Men and women, even the most powerful know to change course when they see the immovable. There is a God in the first line of the Bible who was able to speak and there is light and created all things. The rest of the book becomes easy when I grab the first verse. And that God will stand before you or you will be presented to him. Change course. Change course. Because even very powerful people understand you have to change course before the immovable. We serve a magnificent magnificent God that's bigger than COVID, bigger than November, bigger than all the noise, the international economy, the almighty dollar. We serve a God from which we are empowered to walk with him. Disconnect that and you kill the flowing power of the church. God, we turn to you this morning. And we desire more than anything to put aside all the small issues that would cause us, that one issue of 80 that would cause us to be pulling at each other and picking at each other. 
and rather focus on the Father who sits on the throne. Oh, Father, you're magnificent. Your, your, your ideas about how things should be done are the best and highest. There is none like you. And we would fall before the Spirit of God and we would look for clarity and we would look for help and we would look for inner buttressing when our legs are buckling and we're unable to move forward in the fog that is our day. And then we would see the emergence of our Savior, the exaltation of Jesus, and we would gain power by knowing the Alpha is also the Omega, the one who spoke the very first word of creation is the one who will put the last period on the last word, signed in his own blood and we depend on you lift the eyes of our church and our people past covid conventions commerce and lift them to christ lord jesus it's in your name we pray because you're the one who gives us hope